0: Hey everybody, before we get to the meat of today's show, I'm going to serve up a little appetizer for you here and tell you about another libertarian podcast, another great podcast out there, hosted by our friends over at Good Morning Liberty, also known as Nate and Charlie. And of course, there's been some talk and some rumors and some things swirling about name mispronunciations and They might have called me Jack. I might have called Nate Nick. None of that matters. None of that matters at all. What matters is the awesome show they deliver multiple days a week. It's a uh, five day per week podcast. They have an awesome segment coming up at the end of the week called the Dumb Bleep of the Week. And it is hilarious. It's a can't miss. It's one of those segments that, you know, even if you're not listening to every episode, you got to tune back in. You don't miss the dumb bleep. So check out Good Morning Liberty. Go subscribe to their podcast. Good Morning Liberty. Check it out today with Nate and Charlie. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though. That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And guys, I'm excited for you to hear from today's guest. Got another great guest for you. And you know, diving back into the uh, the criminal justice side of the swimming pool this week. So, you know, it's uh, things can get choppy, things can get a a little bit rough. But these stories are stories that need to be told, and I will never shy away from telling these stories. When I changed the name to uh, to Finding Freedom from Felony Friday, it didn't mean I was abandoning the criminal justice system. It just meant that I was broadening. Uh, the show and the things I'd be looking at. But still, the focus of this show is exposing injustice and giving a platform to those people who have been trampled by the state, been trampled by corporations, been trampled by the man, a stage, a platform to share that story, to get the word out so other people are able to relate to a, uh, a human, another human being, a human face, and, uh, and the story that they're telling. So excited for you all to hear it. Just one note before we get rolling here today, if you guys just stumbled across this show, which would be amazing you're listening to my voice right now, just in randomness, but if you did... You know, this is what we have here. It's a bit of a variety program. Uh, We have three shows per week. On Monday, we have our program hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running uh, show that we have. It's mostly interviews, also some debates, getting into philosophy, entrepreneurship, application, uh, things like that. Uh, On Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's more of a current current events-based show, but... I will say that Brian has been doing a fantastic job uh, with interviews uh, lately, and uh, that's been I've been enjoying listening to those. And of course, this show, Finding Freedom, every Thursday. Please subscribe where you subscribe, or f- I guess on Apple Podcasts. It's now follow Apple Podcasts has made it like it's they've made it difficult to follow podcasts. It used to be this big button that you would hit to subscribe. Now up in the upper right-hand corner, it's this little tiny circled plus sign. You got to like put your finger sideways to just barely touch it to follow the podcast so you get it downloaded to your phone. So go ahead. If you're listening on an iPhone or Apple podcast, go do that. Do the sideways finger thing to get our shows delivered to your phone. We appreciate it. You'll appreciate it. Everybody wins, guys. It's mutually beneficial for everyone involved. Enjoy today's show. Let's get to it. My guest today on Finding Freedom is filmmaker Gia Wirtz. Gia is a graduate of New York Film Academy. She directed a very important documentary called Conviction, which I just watched a couple days ago. And in it, she investigated flaws and inconsistencies in the criminal justice system through the story of Jeffrey Deskovic. Um, We'll talk more about his his case. Very fascinating and troubling case in, in, in a lot of ways. In addition, Gia is a featured writer for, uh, for Forbes. She's the co-host of the Speaking of Crime podcast a founder and fashion designer for Studio 15. Gia, welcome to Finding Freedom.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the show. And as we were just talking about in the, uh, the pre-show chat, I just was... Saying how much I enjoyed your documentary, and uh, I think it is very important that, that people watch it. So I'll just give a plug at the top for it, and say you know people can go to Amazon Prime and uh, and watch that. It's called Conviction. You can search it and find it, and uh, we'll obviously talk more about it. We'll get to that a little later in the show. Before we get to that though, could you tell my audience a little bit about your background, a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am Canadian, and I now live in New York City with my husband and son. I spent 20 years working in the fashion industry and I uh, realized 20 years in that I didn't really enjoy doing that anymore. And that's when I switched careers to go into filmmaking. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm sure later on how I ended up in filmmaking, but I was really searching for a way to help this cause people who've been wrongfully convicted. And I really couldn't figure it out because I didn't want to go to law school. And I thought about doing a podcast about it uh, years ago. And And when I talked to Jeff, actually, over coffee one day and asked him, you know, for someone who'd been in your position who had been wrongfully convicted of a crime, what would help the most? Like what somebody who's, you know, just an average person, what could we do? And I asked him if podcasts would help. And he said, no, by the time a podcast helps somebody, it's going to be a, a lot of time. passed. <laughs> have And so I was just trying to, you know, um, figure out what to do. And, and that led me to filmmaking.
0: Well, Let's, let's talk about it. a lot of interesting stuff there. I want to go back to what you said. So you left your previous career in fashion I went down this different path. Um, I mean, I'm just asking this selfishly because I'm kind of in a similar position. I do have a day job where, where, I, where I do some, some things in the energy sector. Um, and I have other projects and businesses that I work in. And I'm looking to transition myself. So can you just talk about a little bit about that chapter in your, in your life and how that was for you? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, you know, it happened a little bit organically for me because I had my son. And so I was on, you know, maternity Mm -hmm. leave and at home for a while. And so I was already not working at my previous job. And that gave me the time to kind of reassess and think like, do I want to go back to that? Do I really still like that? Am I still passionate about it? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, back when I was like 19, 20 years old, I had read this book, Reuben Carter's book, The 16th Round.
0: Uh, Yes, I've read it.
1: Have you? It's a good book. That book just stuck with me, like left a mark. And so that's what first intrigued me into the whole uh, wrongful conviction world. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, so young then I just read it and I I was kind of shaken. I didn't know that law enforcement could be the bad guys back then. I didn't. I didn't know that that was something that occurred. And then fast forward to 2014, I heard the serial podcast and I felt the same way all over again for the subject of that podcast and non-scient. And by that time I was, you know, mid thirties and that made me um, really question uh, what I wanted to do and how I could help. And so it kind of happened organically. I was On maternity leave, I had listened to Serial, and I really wanted to help. And I thought, you know, I got some time on my hands. What could I do to help this guy? So I planned a fundraiser in New York City. We got some local musicians together. We sold tickets. Um, We got a space in the basement of this pub in the um, Upper West Side, and we had this little event. And we ended up raising a few thousand dollars for a non-legal defense fund. And that was kind of my first taste of, you know, doing something in this world. And while I was planning planning that event, my friend who I was planning it with said, we should have a speaker because neither of us are experts on wrongful conviction. And I said, absolutely, we should. And she said, I happened to meet a guy at a party and he has a really similar story to Adnan. He was also 16 and in high school and wrongfully convicted of a murder of a classmate. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I I got to meet him and he'd be great. And we met him and he ended up being the speaker at our event. And that's how I met Jeff. And wow. through the fundraiser, I became friends with Adnan's family, and I'm still friends with them today, and they're just the most wonderful people. And through staying in touch with them, I happened to be at Adnan's post-conviction hearing. And at that conviction hearing, post-conviction hearing, there was a camera crew. The camera crew was filming the HBO doc, the case against Adnan Zayed. And when I learned that that's what they were filming, and I was completely naive, had no experience in filmmaking whatsoever, there was three people there. It was like a, maybe even two people. I'm not sure. It was a cameraman, and a producer for sure, and maybe a third person. And they were filming. And I thought in my naive mind that three people were making an HBO doc. So I was like, oh, I got this. I can, can get three friends together. <laughs> and so I promptly, that, that's what led me to filmmaking. And that's when I realized that filmmaking is something that I would want to do. And I went home and enrolled into New York Film Academy to kind of learn about it.
0: That is the, that whole story. That's so it's so amazing in so many different ways. Because a lot of people, myself included, in that same situation, um, would have just kind of like stopped and been like, "Wait, can can I do this? Can I can I start a fundraiser here to help for this?" You just did it. Um, when when you saw them filming, a lot of people would say, "Well, I should probably look into how much that costs and uh, <laughs> see if I you know really can do it." Nope, you just decided to start pursuing it, which is awesome. I mean, we need more of that in this world. That's. Uh, that's phenomenal. So, you met you met Jeffrey because he was the speaker at that fundraiser and I'm assuming that's was that the first time you were introduced to his story?
1: Yes, I had never heard a story before. That was the first time. And I had never met anyone in real life who'd been wrongfully convicted. You know, um, I only read Reuben Carter's book and then I had watched the Denzel Washington movie, The Hurricane, that was based yes. on Reuben Carter's book. And then I listened to Serial and then I met Jeff. And so when I went to film school, uh, he was the only person I knew uh, personally that had been through this. So he was the only person I reached out to to say, mm-hmm. hey, do you wanna, you know, I'm thinking of making a documentary. Would you be interested in being the subject? And he was down and so we started filming and stuff while I was still in school. Um, but yeah, that was my first first introduction to Jeff and his story.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Jeff's case. Um, I don't want to give it away because people sh- should watch it. But maybe if you can just give just a high level kind of teaser of, uh, of, of his case in the documentary.
1: Yeah, for sure. Jeff was a high school student at the age of 16 in Peekskill, New York, and it was a really safe town. I think, if I'm not mistaken, for two decades, there was no major crime like homicide or anything like that. And then this one day, this girl, a classmate, Angela Correa, was murdered, and the entire town was really shaken up because it was such a safe place to live, and just things like that didn't really happen in that town, and the police were under pressure to solve it, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, they came to Jeff's school to, of course, interview students. And some of the students said that they should look into Jeff because Jeff was a quiet kid at school and they said he didn't really fit in. And so they thought he was odd or what have you and so they said look into jeff and that's what got because the
0: tech- that's what murders are they're all just quiet kids like i know <laughs> then
1: we were all murderers i guess because i was a quiet. I, I was
0: very quiet in uh, school we <laughs> do
1: and awkward and all of those things yeah. yes same so unfortunately that sequence of events that's how they began and then um the detectives just kind of got tunnel vision and they ended up charging uh jeff with the crime and he got convicted and he's sp- spent uh quite almost two decades in in prison for this murder he didn't commit
0: and they didn't have really any evidence i mean they couldn't have because he didn't do it so yeah and the
1: crazy thing is they had no evidence against jeff except for you know kind of students saying he was, I mean, that's not even evidence. That's just mm-hmm. all they had to go on. Um, they had a, uh, a police did like a, you know, how they do criminal profiles of who they think is most likely to have committed the crime mm-hmm. and whatever profile it was that the NYPD came up with, Jeff matched that profile. We know now after the fact that that profile was completely incorrect because it, you know, obviously Jeff didn't do it, um, but yeah, it was it was it was a bizarre sequence of events, but the evidence they did have, which was DNA because unfortunately Angela was raped and murdered, so there was DNA and uh it didn't match Jeff, but they still they didn't even you know really use what they had to find the right person.
0: So so this was how long ago was this that that this the actual in, crime occurred?
1: Um 89, I believe.
0: So 89. So DNA evidence was not nearly as advanced as it is today, but at that point in time, they still could have determined it wasn't Jeff, right? Look, so they did. I mean, they knew the DNA they had did not match Jeff.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't know these people, so I, I, you know, obviously, for it's my opinion, but it seems that they knew. To me, they knew it wasn't Jeff, but they still wanted to pin it on mm-hmm. it because there was a lot of questionable things that happened during the during the court case and with the medical examiner and with the detective and the coerced false confession. You know police, if they really wanted to solve it, wouldn't be feeding information to somebody. They would definitely be uh, holding information back to see what this person knows, to find out if this suspect has information that they wouldn't otherwise have if they weren't at the scene of the crime. And so they fed Jeff a lot of information. They even took him to the crime scene and uh, walked him through it so that he would know what had happened. So that later on, they could tap into that and make him repeat it during the the false confession and Mm -hmm. whatnot.
0: Yeah, I've, I've interviewed people in the past, um, expert witnesses in false confessions. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear someone made a confession, like, well, how, why would somebody admit to something like, that they didn't do? Yes. And yes. you get in a position, well, one of the things that can happen, lots of things, one thing can happen, whereas you're realizing, wow, I mean, they, they've, they're, even though I didn't do this, I'm going to end up going to prison, I have to make the best Deal possible I don't know if, if that's exactly what happened with Jeff or if he was just so confused he, he didn't know he didn't know up from down or, or what was going on I mean a young kid yeah, was what, 16 was years more old. The-
1: Yes, he was 16 years old. He, um, his mom was a single mom. His dad was never in his life. She had told him not to talk to the police. And being 16, uh, the pol- naive, obviously, and trusting the police, uh, the detectives had told him that he could help with the case. And so they had kind of groomed him for over a month, taking Mm -hmm. him around saying, oh, help us with the case. You know, what, what do you know? And so Jeff thought that he was actually helping the police and his, his uh, childhood dream was to be a cop. So he thought, oh, look at this opportunity to work with real police officers and they're asking for my help. And it made him feel, you know, important and, and stuff. And uh, they knew what they were doing, but unfortunately Jeff thought that he was really helping them. And so Uh, That's how it all happened. And being 16, Jeff did not tell his mom that he was talking to them because she had specifically said not to. And so when they took him out of county lines to interrogate him the day of the false confession, nobody knew where he was. He didn't have a lawyer. His mom didn't know where he was. He just went with the police officers willingly and they took him somewhere where he didn't know where he was. He hadn't eaten any food. They interrogated him for seven hours. Uh, He was hungry and he'd never drank coffee in his life. They gave him numerous Cups of coffee for the entire seven hours. He said he was
0: jittery, so they drugged and confused
1: him, and really drugged. scared. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh-huh. he said he was just. And he said, I asked him this. He said, I said, Why did you confess? And he said, I didn't see any way out. He's any other way out. He said they told me that if I just said I did it, they would take me home. And he's like after seven hours, he was like, I just want to go home.
0: That's so sad. Yeah, and he he, he ends it's up so sad spending. 16 years in prison, right? And eventually uh, the DNA evidence yeah. leads to um the the actual killer. Um who in the time that uh that he was out um killed another woman. Uh so at least, I mean I guess one one that's proven maybe more who knows. So I mean it's it's just so yeah. Our criminal justice system is so broken and it's not it's not broken just to the point where you know, it's causing obviously the people who are in prison for wrong convictions or for these you know stupid you know nonviolent drug crimes, people getting locked away for decades for stuff like that. But it's it's the collateral damage of it all. It's affecting in so many different directions. Innocent bystanders are, are getting are, are getting caught up in the blowback from it. So when you when you think of, of false um, or not, I'm getting false uh, false confessions and. Uh, I do that <laughs> wrongful convictions uh, mixed up. But so this, this case with Jeff was the first one you looked into and you created this documentary. Have, have you gotten interested and started to investigate and look at other um, other ones out there?
1: I have. I have. So right now I'm working on the feature length documentary of Jeff's story. And so I'm almost finished that. I'm in post production on that, and now I'm researching uh, cases for my third documentary. And so I'm actually okay. in that phase right now. And it's it's a tough thing to decide, you know, whose case to cover. And it's also a tough thing to uh, determine if the person who you whose story you want to cover is actually innocent. You know, mm. it's I guess how do how do I know really?
0: <laughs> hey, just a, a quick break here. I want to tell you about a new sponsor we have on the show, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. This is a family company, great people out of San Antonio, Texas. Really excited to be working with them. Uh, the promo code, if you go to their website, it's you get twenty five percent off. Promo code is ROAR. Just enter that twenty five percent off a seventy five dollar order and up, and every order is uh is free shipping which for small companies that's hard to do so that's that's an amazing deal you're getting here incredible products i'm just going to talk about one of them that i mean i'll be fully honest i haven't tried these yet but i have good friends who swear by them and i'm going to be ordering this product really excited to try it out i will give you the feedback as soon as i do it's their eucalyptus lavender sov it's it's for muscle aches and joint pain as somebody works out and runs I'm really excited to uh, to try this out. So you guys will hear my feedback. So for all your CBD needs, you're going to go to palomaverdecbd.com. Once again, 25% off with code ROAR. Check it out. Yeah, so what so what do you what are you based on when you start looking into a looking into a case? What are you looking for? Are you actually meeting with the person or What's the process?
1: So I haven't met with anybody Um, right now. I'm just in the research phase. But what's really interesting is that I've been working with um, people like Jeff's organization and like the Innocence Project, because I I interviewed a lot of people from the Innocence Project for my documentary about Jeff. And what I've learned is that there's these kind of markers that indicate whether someone is most likely innocent or not. And and, uh, that's been really fascinating for me to learn. You probably know this already, but uh, some of those things are when people who have been in prison for some time are up for parole, um, most often people who are innocent maintain their innocence in front of the parole board. Mm -hmm. And the parole board will consider release and whatnot if you show remorse and say you're sorry for what you did and you're a changed person and you're gonna be a functional member of society and stuff like that. But people who are innocent, even after spending decades in prison, maintain their innocence when they could simply pretend they have remorse just so they could finally get out of this place that they shouldn't be in in the first place Mm -hmm. but they don't do that they assert their innocence because that's so important to them because they know it's not true that they didn't commit this crime and so interestingly enough that's one indicator of of innocence
0: and there's also another thing with that is just the pressure from being in prison and it might even make your life a little easier in prison uh relating to you know the to the other uh, people that you're with if you have committed the crime and then you kind of have that you know it, it's kind of uh I I don't want to say like uh bragging rights but it's 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 a way to relate it's it puts you on yes. the same level when you're saying I'm not like you I didn't commit uh you know a terrible crime yeah it creates separation so
1: I'm sure that's the case I mean of course I don't know but um it makes sense because you also don't, you're in a place that's full of dangerous people. And mm-hmm. you don't want to be the only not dangerous person right. amongst all these dangerous criminals, of course. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. So just to go back to, to Jeff's case, one thing that really stuck out to me, which I'd never really thought about before, and I think this is the case not only with wrongful, wrongful convictions, but people convicted of crimes at young ages who do decades in prison. And I hadn't really heard anyone really talk about it this way, but it really makes sense. When Jeff was talking about, you know, he's in his, what, 40s now, um, and he's and he's saying, you know, I, I feel like I'm in my 20s, and I feel like I should be going out to, uh, you know, baseball games and playing sports and, and doing these different things. And there's nobody his age to do it with, so really, really, uh, I mean, when you think of how this this really compounds in the many different ways that this has affected his life, um, very sad, but but also I think a, a lot to a lot to learn from it. Wherein people who have loved ones who have been to prison, um, I, I think it can be helpful for them to see a story like Jeff's to see you know being so honest because I I mean I've done. I want to say, like, two hundred interviews with people who've been to prison. I haven't heard anyone talk about it that way.
1: Yeah, it was so interesting. It's so heartbreaking, and mm-hmm. and and almost heartwarming at the same time. And because because he is free, that's the only reason. Um, but so interesting, and it's and it's true. I mean, Jeff is like his one of his. I interviewed his best friend, and she said that he's like a little kid inside. She's like he's like still still sixteen on the inside. She's like you know he has his like. Mm-hmm work Jeff and then the personal, like when you're friends with him, Jeff, and she said, he's silly. And he's like a kid. And, and I can see how that could be because all those years got stolen from him and they're formative years, you know, and mm-hmm. you had to spend those years in, in prison, not, not growing the way you should, not making the relationships that you should not going through the everyday life to life in day-to-day things that you should be, you should be going through.
0: So, when it get when it comes to wrongful convictions as a whole you know we, we talked about in Jeff's case how you know it seemed like the police officers were you know maybe it, intentionally like they might have known the investigators might have known it wasn't Jeff but they still proceed down this path um, I've seen many cases with, with prosecutors when they for sure know that they are you know, putting someone who's innocent in prison, but they're still continuing with it. And then once yes. they're in prison and there's appeals, they're still, you know, they're still putting up that stone wall, not letting them out. Do you think that this is a, a systematic problem or do we have a problem where, you know, we just have like they say with police officers, like you have bad apples that that, that get into this or... What's your thoughts on that?
1: You know, I have two thoughts on that. I think that as far as the detectives and whatnot, there's bad apples. That's what I think. I mean, I'm not an expert, but that's what I have seen. That's what I think, that there's bad apples, unfortunately. And it seems there's even just bad um, uh, entire police force or one station, you know, whoever's Mm -hmm. running it. Like if it's allowed, um, then that that becomes the culture that is fostered in that, you know one police station or however they're divided up. Um, but I think this is the systemic problem is that a lot of detectives, prosecutors have immunity and there's no consequences for mm-hmm. their behavior. And if there were consequences and if they actually treated these actions that result in wrongful, wrongful convictions, where it's on purpose, where it's coerced confessions or planting evidence or what have you, things like that are there. That's a crime and it should be treated as such they should have no immunity and if they were treated that way they would think twice about doing it because they don't want to end up in prison you know they know what it's like they put people there so i think that's the that's the bigger issue
0: i'm really glad you brought that up and last summer when there was when there were the uh, blm uh, protests and there was really a push for uh, you know taking away the qualified immunity that law enforcement has and you know even looking at um, if there is a wrong, wrong wrongful conviction or if they are you know uh, either lying or fabricating evidence in order to uh, to lock someone up that there should be ramifications. It shouldn't just be oh you get some paid leave um, or, or even or even they get discharged from the force but they're not getting, uh, criminal charges against right. them in any way and they have their their you know their their union uh, pension to uh to fall back on so how i mean it, it's so difficult to it seemed like there was all this momentum going towards um police reform and you know actually with a lot of energy behind it and funding behind it yeah it has all that been lost it seems like we lost it, it seems like nobody cares about that anymore
1: yeah you know, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, but I agree with you <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah it, I, I don't I know I'm just I guess I guess I'm would, venting, but yeah yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> I think it's the thing that would make uh, one of the things that would make the biggest impact and the biggest change mm-hmm. to our system is if we if we had that because it would right. be like a uh, policing system in of itself, right right yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the actual making of a, of a documentary. So this was the first one you did. And so when did you finish your, uh, your film school? Um, So I just
1: took a workshop program. So I finished in, oh God, time is so weird right now because of COVID. I don't even know what year (laughs) Um, it was. I guess it was almost two years ago now that I finished. Yep.
0: And then how long did it, take you so, so you mentioned earlier that there's the documentary that's out now on amazon prime that's going to be made into what you're working on now into a feature is it is that correct? yes
1: that's correct so the one the documentary short that's on amazon prime is just 21 minutes long mm-hmm. and it really focuses on what it was like for jeff to reintegrate into society and what it's like for an innocent person to come back into the world and regular world and how they cope and what their life Mm -hmm. is like. The feature length documentary is Jeff's story, but an hour and a half long film. And it goes much more in depth. It covers everything the short covers, but it goes much more in depth into false confessions and why innocent people confessed nice. to things they didn't do. And um, why was the DNA not allowed to be tested at the time in Westchester County? Uh, Janine Pirro was a DA and she denied the testing of that. Jeff had been requesting that DNA to be tested multiple times over years. And it was, she's always denied the testing of that DNA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why did that happen? Why was that even allowed to happen in our justice system? And, you know, if they had tested that uh, DNA Jeff could have saved, I think, almost eight or 10 years off of his sentence. I mean, he could have really had a big chunk of his life back. And so it just goes more into depth into all of those things. I talked to his mom and family members and friends uh, to see what it was like, you know, the first day he got out and everything he's done since, and even some of the stuff he's working on today, uh, which is really, really interesting.
0: And did, did his mom and family members, Support him? Did they believe that he was innocent?
1: Yes, they did. Yeah. They believed he was innocent the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to his mom, when I interviewed her for the feature length film, she was, you know, she was like, I told him not to talk to the police. Like, I knew he didn't do it, and I told him to stay away from them, yeah. you know, and she was, of course a little frustrated because it really she she was a single mom. She couldn't afford a lawyer. So they had to get a court appointed lawyer who wasn't very good, I guess. And uh she had a younger son. So she had another son. So she had to take care of her son meanwhile trying to navigate you know the whole situation with Jeff and the legal system and uh, money and all of that. So, you know, it was really really hard on her.
0: Yeah, well that's another problem with with the legal system is the people who don't have money to defend themselves really can't defend themselves because yes. they're getting nothing against public defenders. I mean, a lot of them are, you know, trying their hardest, doing the best they can, but you they get overwhelmed with caseloads and they just don't have the time yep. to put into it. So, that's really one of the bigger inequalities there is just in the defense you can put up and you're going against yes. a prosecutor who has all the resources in the world that they could ever dream of to 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 put the to put up their case. So, that's a huge problem. Yes. So when does the feature come out? Do do you know that? Or is there a release date planned? So
1: the release was planned for this year, but COVID really put a wrench in all of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We have two shoots left to do. The film is in post-production. We're almost finished, but we were supposed to shoot inside the prisons. And as you probably know, all the prisons got shut down for Mm -hmm. all visitors because of the because of the pandemic and so we haven't had a chance to do that shoot yet still and then one more where i need to travel to colorado and of course with you know not really flying and all of that i haven't done that yet either so as soon as we can get those two i'm hoping now that it would be beginning of next year for release but maybe end of this year if if we can if things open up and we can just knock out these shoots then maybe even the end of this year
0: all right. One more question. And it's a, not a trick question, but it's something I've been asking recently. I've been getting good responses to it. So I'll ask people who've written books or, or created you know, films like yourself. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you really wanted to talk about that's really important um, to the film or, or about yourself?
1: Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question, but I'd have to put some thought into that. I don't think so, though. <laughs> Not off the top of my head, no.
0: And uh, can you just plug plug the documentary, the, the short again, and talk about um, where people can find out more about you, either your social media, websites, all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, conviction is on Amazon Prime. Um, you can search the word conviction or Jeffrey Deskovic or Gia Wertz and you should uh, see it there. And as far as uh, myself, you can find me on my website. It's just my full name, com. And uh, the great thing is actually-
0: And that's um, Gia, is- Gia with a J.
1: Yes, Gia with a J. It's J-I-A-W-E-R-T-Z.com. I I was going to tell you, yes, so one interesting thing I will share is that, you know, right after... I finished at New York Film Academy, we got into a few film festivals and it was, I was so excited because it was my first film, uh, nor did I think that was gonna happen or it was even a possibility. And then, you know, we got into over 10 festivals and I was very excited because our theatrical premiere was gonna be in New York City at the uh, Anthology Film Archives Theater, which to me was like just iconic. And Mm -hmm. I was over the moon. And that's when the pandemic hit. And two weeks before the release, all of the theaters shut down. And so we never got to have a theatrical release. Uh, We went straight to um, Amazon Prime eventually. And so what's really exciting and why I mentioned it when I mentioned my website is we have a tab there for screenings and everybody is welcome to come if there's one in your city. And uh, the one in New York and the one in Los Angeles are now being scheduled since they never happened a year and a half ago. So yeah, and there'll be other cities as well that we're going to be having some screenings in. So anybody that wants to come, I would love to have them there and meet them in person.
0: Awesome. It's very exciting. Well, Gia Works, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for uh, all you're doing to uh, reform the criminal justice system.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. This is great.
0: All righty. Thank you. All right, taking a quick break here. I want to talk to you all about my friend, friend of the show, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man and his new song. And uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track, you know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's really, really interesting track. Please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man and please like this song, share it with your friends, and it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out.
1: Cost of when internet is free.
0: Y'all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully, you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, if you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app, you know how to do it, and subscribe. You can also leave us a five star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, if you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to, you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out. Patreon.com slash lines of liberty and If you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a Taxation is Death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a Wax On Tax Off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermat signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.